Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey there, my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm a small group leader here at OCC. And something that I love, and I may have told you about this before, is I love NASCAR. I'm a huge fan. And one of the things I love about NASCAR, maybe maybe you follow sports, you care about this too for your sport, uh, but I love uh, records. I love stats. I, I, I love knowing the records. And I love even more seeing the records get broken. Uh, that's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, one of the main records in NASCAR is the fastest driver ever. His name was Bill Elliott. Here's a picture of him. He drove uh, on a NASCAR track at 212.808 miles per hour, which is incredibly fast. Uh, and no one's going to break that anytime soon. That's the record. Well, this last year, a guy named Kyle Larson uh, was running for another record. He was in the run for another record, and it's most wins in a row in the modern era of NASCAR. Now, it's it's very hard to win one race in NASCAR, let alone two, two in a row. That's hard. Well, the record is four races in a row. Uh, this is very difficult to do. Uh, only a few people have done it in the history of the sport. Uh, and Kyle Larson won three races in a row. And I want to show you a clip from the fourth race, the fourth race, and he's about to win. And so we're going to watch the final two laps. Take a look. Four consecutive wins is what Larson's fighting for. Eric Jones and Busher battling for 20th place on the racetrack right now. Busher in 21st. Jones now in 21st. Busher has made the pass. One lap to go, presented by Credit One Bank. Two and a half miles in front of Kyle Larson, and what a historic day it will be for him. They've all come differently. He's dominated some. Road courses, high horsepower, low horsepower, different style racetrack. This racetrack, unlike any other. And he had to go get the lead back in the closing laps. Kyle Larson trying to join the legends of NASCAR. Only eight before him have ever won four. Oh, he's got a flat tire. The left front tire's flat. It's down. He's going to go into the wall. Kyle Larson in the wall. The 48 of Bowman's going to get by him. A flat tire for Kyle Larson. And now Alex Bowman is going to win at Pocono. Unbelievable. Oh, man, that is just devastating. He's uh, so close. He's on the last turn of the last lap, about to put his name in the record books, and his tire explodes. He hits a wall, and he doesn't win the race. Uh, The guy in victory lane, he should have been second, but he's the guy cashing the check. He's he's not the fastest. He's not. He didn't have the best car, but he's the one in victory lane at the end of the day, and uh, that's just how devastating for that for that driver. Uh, and if you follow sports, you've probably seen this happen over and over again. You know, the favorite, the the, the team or the person you expect to win doesn't always win. Uh, and you've probably seen this happen a lot. Uh, well, in this series, we've been in uh, the book of Ecclesiastes looking at the words of King Solomon in our series, Don't Miss This. And 
King Psalm has been sharing some truths, some conclusions he's reached about life uh, that we would do well to listen to. Uh, and specifically this week, we're talking about our limits on our understanding of the future, our limits of certainty, our inability to predict the outcome of, of a lot of events. And now Solomon, you know, he didn't get to watch NASCAR. I'm sure he would have loved it. Uh, but here's what he says about this same situation that we just watched unfold. Ecclesiastes 9, 11 through 12 says this, Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For a man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Uh, isn't that so true? The strongest guy doesn't always win the match. Uh, the biggest country doesn't always win the war. Uh, the smartest person doesn't always end up the richest. Uh, Solomon is pointing out that as hard as we try, we can't be certain, certain about the future. Now today, uh, we're going to be looking at the wisdom of Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9 through 11. Uh, but I want to back up and give us some context to this text. Uh, Solomon, he was the third king of God's people in Israel. Uh, these were a special set-apart people. God had called them out of slavery in Egypt, uh, and he had carved out a space for them, and they had established what were to be, was to be God's kingdom. Uh, this is God's people. So uh, God has some special instructions for his king, of his people, is they were supposed to be a special type of king. And here, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 17. This is God, uh, God's instructions for the kings of Israel. He says this, and this is given... Hundreds of years prior, he says this, he must not acquire, speaking of the king, he must not acquire many wives for himself, so his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he's seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It's accountability. It is to remain with him, and he is to read from it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning for many years in Israel. These are the instructions God gave for the kings of Israel. Now, King Solomon actually started out following these instructions. He had started out with wisdom. God had granted him a great deal of wisdom, but... Toward the end, he chose to not take his own advice, not take God's wisdom, but instead chose to live foolishly. Uh, and, and this is the time uh, during which he wrote Ecclesiastes. He, he's an older man. He's near the end of his reign. He's really stopped uh, He stopped putting his faith in God. And, and so we're going to see that in, in the passages we're looking at. Um, let's see how he was doing at this, at this stage in his rule in Israel. Uh, he, he had married numerous foreign women. He had hundreds of wives. <laughs> he had not just married many. He had married many, many women. Uh, and, and so he had many foreign wives, and they worshipped false idols. Many of them did. And so Solomon, pretty soon, he was also worshipping false idols. The king of God's people is worshipping other gods. This is, this is very sad, the predicament that Solomon is in right now. Uh, another thing we notice is that uh, one of the great good things that Solomon accomplished is he built a temple for God in, in Jerusalem. That's a big deal. Uh, but he kept taxes high even after the temple was completed. And part of that was 
he wanted to fund his own building projects. And some of that were, were palaces for him. Uh, and some, some of that money was also going toward building temples for these false foreign gods. Uh, so very sad. Uh, and one of the effects, you know, uh, of having uh, many, many wives is he also had many children. And he did not spend time, the appropriate amount of time, training his children. In fact, he didn't train his successor very well. Uh, his son, who came after him, uh, he he ruled foolishly, and he actually caused a civil war. And, and this happens after Solomon's time. And, and so we're going to see some of those things getting set up in the passage today. So Solomon, you know, he married the wrong woman, he accumulated wealth, even though God had told him not to, and he neglected God's wisdom. Uh, he's He's really off course here. And so even though the kingdom was doing well, you're going to start to see the cracks in the foundation around this time. Uh, much of this was due not for Solomon's want for wisdom, but for his lack of faith. And, and so keep in mind as we are, are reading the words of Solomon at this point in his life, he's sharing truth that's been clouded by his sin. Uh, we're reading the words of a jaded, failed king. Uh, he did not pass God's test. Uh, he fell short of the criteria we just read. Uh, he, he was great. He accomplished some good things. And, and we would do well to listen to him, but his perspective is incomplete. Uh, you know, as we read the words of this King Solomon, the, this old godless king, um, imagine him sitting here uh, in his great expensive ivory throne, uh, sharing the wisdom that he's discovered, part of it being through his own human reason. Uh, but imagine also sitting across from him, sitting over here, is Jesus, uh, who sits on his heavenly throne that lasts forever, his eternal heavenly throne. Uh, and imagine, what might he say about the words of Solomon and the conclusions of Solomon? Uh, Solomon was, we are told, the wisest man that ever lived. But Jesus, Jesus was the God-man. Uh, he had all the wisdom of God. He was actually wisdom incarnated in the flesh, uh, the embodiment of God's wisdom, but brought under the authority of God as well. He did life God's way perfectly. Uh, and so, though we should listen to the wisdom of Solomon, it's it's Jesus who gets final say. And so, as we're unpacking the passages today, uh, what I want to do is actually use uh, the the New Testament to reflect back on what Solomon is saying uh, and give final comment to what has come after Solomon. We have access to actually more wisdom uh, than just Solomon's words. Uh, so, his words are, are are true, but they're unfinished in a sense. And so, all that to say, here's a major conclusion that Psalm has given us, that we're discussing today, and it's this. We are limited in our certainty about the future. We're limited in our certainty about the future. You know, if you're, if you're listening to this, that's probably not a surprise. You probably know that. Uh, yeah, we don't know the future, very obviously. Uh, this is true in sports, but it, it's a lot more real when it hits us in our own lives. We're uncertain about the future for ourselves. Uh, and there are several ways that we can respond incorrectly to that conclusion. And Solomon highlights four of them. Four of them I want to highlight for you guys today. The first is this. Here's four ways to fail. One is apathy. Apathy. Here's the attitude behind apathy. It's this. If I cannot control my future, why bother? Why choose wisdom at all? Why do life God's way if everything turns out the same? Here's here's what Solomon says, describing the reason for apathy. Uh, This is Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 3. He says this. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wise, and their works are in the hands of God. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean and the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. 
as it is for the good, so also is it for the sinner. As it is for one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. So Solomon notices that if you do good, it doesn't guarantee that you get good out. If, if you do bad, sometimes good things will happen to bad people. Uh, it, this is frustrating. Uh, Solomon goes on to talk about uh, a situation in which being wise was seemingly meaningless. Here's verses 13 through 16. I observed that this also is wisdom under the sun and is significant to me. Here's a story. There's a small city with few men in it. A great king came against it, surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. Now a poor wise man was found in the city, and he delivered the city uh, by his wisdom. Yet no one remembered that poor man. And I said, this is Solomon speaking, Wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of a poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. Uh, this poor man, he did the right thing, and he got no credit. Uh, what was the point for him? Uh, what was the benefit of choosing wisdom? Uh, Solomon goes on to say this, uh, There is an evil I've seen in the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I've seen slaves on horses, but princes walk on the ground like slaves. Solomon is, is describing an absurd reality. He, he's describing the fact that injustice exists. Some outcomes don't seem to match up with what people deserve. It doesn't quite make sense. But Solomon here, he's, he's really he's speaking on only a purely physical plane. He's not perceiving greater spiritual realities. Uh, and so apathy is actually, you know, it is a right response. If all we had was the physical world around us, and, and you look around and it seems like people do evil things and get good, and people do good things and get, get bad, bad things happen to them, uh, then apathy is actually a logical response. Uh, John touched on this last week. Um, and this is where Solomon has landed at this point in his life. He says, all is futility. He's become a cynic. And, you know, we'll unpack this further, but one reason not to give in to apathy is because there are consequences if we do. Uh, the poor man's wisdom won him nothing, but he saved the city. Uh, that matters. Uh, conversely, Solomon, at this stage in his life, he had caved to apathy. And his, his action, the, this action, cost his people their prosperity in the future. Uh, his lack of seriousness wrecked the kingdom. God intended for Solomon's line to, to rule on the throne of Israel and for Israel to be a, a prosperous country moving forward into the future. And instead, he kind of blew things up after him. He would have done well to listen to his own proverb. He says this in 10.18, Because of laziness, the roof caves in, and because of negligent hands, the house leaks. You know, apathy has real consequences. Here's another way we can fail, is we can get into arrogance. Arrogance. Uh, maybe I, here's the attitude behind it, is maybe I need to get what I want out of life myself. Uh, let me factor God out of my decisions, uh, and let me take what I can for myself. Uh, and here's what Solomon says. He correctly identifies this. He says, A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? Uh, Solomon is again reminding us, we don't know the future. We, we should be humble. Uh, we shouldn't be arrogant about the future. Solomon's right. We have, we have reason to be humble. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Now, take a look at, at this passage in James, uh, who wrote in the New Testament about the same issue of arrogance. 
4.13 and 14, he says this, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city, and spend a year, and do business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you like a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Uh, it's a mistake to take God out of our plans for the future, because he's the one who holds the future. Uh, James goes on, Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. But, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So it is sin to know the good and yet not to do it. You know, Solomon struggled with arrogance. Uh, he started uh, taking God out of his decision making. Uh, and he did evil in God's sight. And we can easily get sucked into arrogance as well. Uh, we make plans sometimes. And the last thing we consider is uh, what... We don't make progress in life unless God okays it, unless it comes from God's hands. And so James, James, let's be careful, James is not saying don't plan. He's actually saying plan humbly, plan in humility. Make your plans, but say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Uh, understand that you need to hold your plans with an open hand, an open hand, uh, and be okay with God redirecting you, because he's the one who holds the future. Um, to know the God of the universe at an intellectual level but to live on a day-to-day basis like he wasn't in existence, that's sinful. That's what James is pointing out. Uh, here's another way to fail. Uh, I call it amassing or hoarding, uh, if you will. And this, this is the attitude of, you know, I, I have resources and I see someone else's need, but I'm going to hold on to what I have because I'm not sure what's coming down the road. What if I need these resources in the future? Uh, and, and really simply put, it's if I can't be certain about the future, I need to have everything I can and, and hold on to it. And Solomon actually really wisely warns against this in, in chapter 11. He writes this, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Uh, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will be. And this is a rather funny passage, isn't it? Uh, it takes some unpacking. But uh, first off, why would you cast your bread upon the water? Why would you take your hard-earned bread, your sustenance, and throw it away? Um, in Solomon's society, uh, this this would have been ridiculous. Uh, bread is an incredible amount of work to make. Think about what went into this process. They couldn't pick it up at the store, right? They had to they had to till the ground, plant the, the seeds, uh, tend to them, harvest. Uh, they had to mill the grain, uh, and then they actually had to bake the bread. This is hard-won uh, fruits of their labors. Uh, and to tear it up and throw it on the water, that's that's kind of ridiculous, uh, well, Solomon here is advocating, he's advocating against hoarding or amassing. He's advocating for generosity. Generosity means giving what you have, knowing you may not get it back. Like putting bread on the water. There's no guarantee of return on an investment. Uh, in, in verse 2, he gives. He says, give generously to many. Um, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what will come back to you. Uh, now, if you put your bread on the water... If you actually physically did this, really did this, and it came back to you, wouldn't you be surprised? That's pretty miraculous, right? I'd be shocked. After several days, my bread's back here. That's weird. It'd be soggy, right? But that'd be strange. Um, it, but this is how it is with generosity. Uh, when you are generous, God is generous with you in miraculous ways. 
Uh, verse 3 shows that Solomon views generosity as cause and effect. Like a, like a tree falling down, there it is. Uh, it's miraculous, but it's actually very simple. Uh, as simple as full clouds yielding rain. Uh, if you sow generously, somehow generosity seems to crop up at the right times for you. Uh, and it, Here's why this is important. is because generosity requires trusting God with the future. We don't know what the future holds. If, if you give up your, your bread, you, you, you give up your grain uh, for someone else, then you don't have something to plant for the, next, for the next year. You're actually taking out of your livelihood to give to someone else to be generous. This, this is costly generosity. And more on that in a bit. Uh, here's a fourth and final way to fail. It's called, I call it analysis paralysis. You may have heard that term before. Uh, and it's this. If I can't be certain about the future... Well, I'm, I, I'm not going to move forward. I'm going to wait until conditions are perfect because I don't want to waste anything. I don't want to waste any energy doing something that's not going to work out. Uh, and here's what Solomon says about analysis paralysis. Verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Uh, he's saying this. If you're not going to sow or plant anything because you're looking at the wind, uh, you're not going to get anything done. Uh, here, here's what another translation says. Farmers... Uh, who wait for perfect weather, never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. And I, I fall into this one. I'm pulled to this one very easily. You know, I, I want guaranteed results. Before I put in effort, I want to know that I'm going to get the output that I want. Uh, and it's it's hard to place effort in life correctly because we're never certain what the what is actually going to work out. If you're a farmer and you sow your seeds, you don't know which seeds are going to crop up and actually yield a product. You don't know. Uh, this is difficult. Um, sometimes we become so fixated on trying to get just the right option that we stop and move it forward and we reach a standstill. Um, you know, our lack of certainty can be paralyzing. I remember I was in a season uh, where this happened to me. I hit analysis paralysis. Uh, I was a senior in college and I was getting ready to graduate and I was in my, my final week, I think, uh, taking my last few tests and I was pulling a near all-nighter, you know, as you do when you're in college, uh, finishing things up. And in the middle of studying, I think at like 1 or 2 a.m., and I'm on very low sleep, it occurred to me, I don't know what I'm doing next. <laughs> I, I, and so I, I, I got out a whiteboard. I started writing down options for here, here's my possible jobs that I could get. Here, here's what I could do for grad school. Um, you know, I, I was dating my, my now wife, and I wasn't sure where that was going. And I was putting down all these things on the whiteboard, trying to figure out, what are the pros and cons? What should I do? It, it, what I was really trying to do is I was, try, I was telling God, God, I want to do the right thing. Why won't you just show me the plan? Why won't you show me where I should put my effort? Because I want to waste it doing the wrong thing. Uh, I, show me the perfect way forward was my attitude. And you know, I was stuck. I was in analysis paralysis. I didn't know the way forward. Um, I was so fixated on finding the perfect path, for, path forward that I had stopped making any progress at all. Uh, and, and I was trying to force God to give me his plan. And maybe you've been in a situation like that. Uh, but this is true. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll be waiting for a long time. If you're intimidated by the possibility of things going wrong, you're not going to harvest. You're not going to have anything at the harvest time. Uh, verse 5 says this, As you do not know the way the spear comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Uh, in 
the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for ye do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so uh, we need to we need to faith forward. We need to move forward in faith. Uh, imperfect steps forward trump perfect steps never taken. Look at this quote from good old uh, Michael Scott. Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's kind of funny. Uh, if Solomon put this in his own words, he might say, uh, you can't reap what you don't sow. You can't harvest what you haven't planted. Uh, and so we have to choose to move forward in obedience and trust God with the outcome. It's God's job to do God's stuff. It's our job to do our part. Uh, we put the seed in the ground. It's God who brings growth. And so here's, here's a practical way to do this, and this ties in uh, with what we were discussing earlier, is plan humbly. You know, don't just throw up your hands and go, God's got the future, I'll, I'll let him handle it, uh, I have no control over my life. Uh, no, plan, but bring your plans under the authority, the lordship of Christ. Plan, but use wisdom. Plan in humility, with your faith, and your trust in God. Uh, the attitude is just, I will do my best, and I'll trust God as I move into the future. You know, part of what pushes us out of analysis paralysis is turning our focus onto others. Uh, this ties in with the, the third point, which is uh, you can't be generous with bread if you haven't put seed in the ground and harvested it, right? You can't be generous with what you haven't earned. Uh, and so this is a reason to actually get to work. Uh, it, imperfect steps forward, Trump never walking forward. Uh, now, what are we to do with all of this? You know, there are four ways we can fail, four ruts that we can fall in. Uh, apathy, arrogance, amassing, analysis, paralysis. Well, here's one way forward. It's to combine wisdom and faith. Combine wisdom and faith. And I want you to imagine for a second uh, a faith-wisdom bike. Uh, now, faith here is making Jesus boss your life and trusting him with your future. Wisdom is the skill it takes to understand situations correctly and deal with them appropriately, proper timing and procedures. Uh, and you need to pair those two, much like riding a bike. Wisdom is the, the balance it takes uh, to ride a bike. You know, Back and forth, you need to stay upright. But faith is the pedaling motion uh, that actually moves you forward. When you put those two together, wisdom and faith paired allow for forward progress in the right direction. Uh, wisdom provides uh, strategies to be effective, but faith provides purpose. Uh, wisdom alone can't move you forward. Uh, but as you move forward in faith, wisdom can make you more effective. Uh, you know, we never get to a point where we can just take our feet off the pedals and just stop faithing forward. You know, if you're riding a bike, you, you can do that for a little bit, but pretty soon if you don't start pedaling again, you're going to fall over. Uh, and wisdom on its own can't really help you. You, you need faith. You need to continue to faith forward into the future. And this is how it is with God. You know, sometimes the way forward seems pretty clear. Uh, and it can be easy to back off pedaling. Uh, but preaching God brings up circumstances that require you to trust God again in a new area of life. Uh, and, and we just can't use wisdom without faith. You know, Solomon couldn't. He had all the wisdom in the world. And because he stopped faithing forward, he actually he started to regress. And so we need to go further than the conclusions of Solomon. Uh, more than human wisdom, we need to pair uh, wisdom with the lordship of God on the throne. Uh, if we make Jesus boss, we can use our faculties, our knowledge, our understanding, our resources, our time here to serve God and make our lives count for eternity. Uh, we can do that only if we, we get under God's authority. Uh, faith is what makes wisdom count for an eternity. 
you know, King Solomon started his reign with God on the throne of his life. Uh, but as he went farther along, he took God off the throne. Uh, he stopped pedaling forward. He reached a standstill. Uh, I wonder, you know, what, what could God have done through a man like Solomon if he was fully committed, if he continued with faith till the end of his life, uh, if he had taken his, his immense wisdom and brought it under the authority of God? Um, what could God do through your life? Uh, if you trusted God fully with your future and used your resources to move skillfully with wisdom, uh, might you go further than Solomon? Uh, could you really make your life count? Uh, you know, this is possible. Maturity is not just getting wisdom, but getting to work and applying it. That's that's faith, moving forward into the future, trusting God. Now, some of you have done this. Uh, some of you ex- have experienced what it's like to, you know, there's a thrill to riding a bike. You're making forward progress as momentum. Uh, and the same thing is true in our faith. When, you, when you're moving with wisdom, but you're, you're pedaling forward, you're, you're faithing forward, trusting God with the future, uh, that's, that's joyous. And if you've done that for decades, um, you, you are a hero. You're, you are one of my heroes. You know, I, uh, as a young man, when I started coming around OCC, uh, this was about 11 years ago. Uh, I I had made God the boss of my life, but I was really struggling to trust God with my future. I, I didn't know how things would turn out. I was stuck in analysis paralysis like we talked about. And the question I was really asking is, can I really trust God? I haven't seen him come through for these types of things like career and jobs and spouses. I haven't seen him come through. Can I really trust him? Does Does the God of the universe, I know he loves me. Does he really, really love me? Does he really care about the details of my individual life? Uh, does he care enough? Do I need to pay attention enough to obey him in those small areas? Uh, and it's the encouragement and the testimonies of older, wiser people in, in our community that were a real encouragement to me, that helped me figure this out. Uh, and that's hugely helpful. You know, there are an incredible amount of pressures that people experience in their younger years. Uh, you know, not find the spouse you're hoping for, not right away. That's frustrating. Uh, potentially having jobs not work out, careers not working out. Um, if you, people do get married, you know, not having kids right away, that's a, a, a lot of pressure. Um, or, or having kids and having to trust God with the future or another human being, trying to parent, it's hard. And, and people, younger people, haven't seen God come through on, in those areas yet. Uh, and so you could be a real encouragement by coming alongside and, and showing them that God has been faithful in your life. And, and this focus, by shifting your focus uh, to others around you, you can really avoid these same ruts that Solomon is describing and some of which he fell into. You can avoid apathy. No, what you do right now matters. People are looking to you as an example. Uh, you can avoid uh, amassing, gathering for yourself. Uh, you can avoid arrogance, knowing that, that it's actually you're, you're trying to take others with you. Uh, and, and you can help other people get out of analysis paralysis. You can be a help in these areas. And so look for opportunities to encourage younger people uh, with stories about how God has come through for you. You're, you're needed in our community. Now, if you're younger, this is for me. <laughs> this is the encouragement I drew from the text, and I want to share it with you, is this. Uh, give up on making perfect decisions. Uh, the future is not going to be perfect. Uh, you know, you can analyze ad nauseum and not make progress forward. And instead, uh, you need to move forward and take appropriate risks. 
Uh, don't get into haste, but take appropriate risks. Uh, God gives us a short time in this life, and it's our job to make it count. He's given us a, a sack full of grain it, seed, and it's our job to sow, to sow broadly. Uh, we have work to do. And, and so what might this look like? It might be, you know, you need to apply for the harder job uh, with more responsibility and more hours. Uh, maybe you need to ask, ask the girl out. Ask her out. Maybe she'll say yes. Uh, or girls, maybe you need to say yes to go on a date with, with that funny-looking guy. Uh, maybe that's your future spouse. Maybe not. Who knows? We don't know. God knows. God knows the future. Uh, and so we can we can move forward knowing that God can redirect us. And he, he, here's the attitude that, that we can take is this. God, I, I've, I've looked at your word. I, I've talked to your people, wise people, and I've prayed. And this next step is what I think is within your will. And if it's not, please correct me. I will listen. God, I'm going to move forward into the future within your will, and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. That's where we can end up. And this is what this really is, is you're planning, planning in humility. You're bringing your plans under the authority of God. Uh, he's sovereign, but he's giving you a brain to move forward with. You can pair wisdom with faith. Uh, and lastly, you might be in a, in a category, a different category altogether. You might be someone who has never made Jesus the boss of your life. Uh, and I encourage you to start the journey. Get on the bike. Uh, don't just take God's wisdom from his word. Uh, take God's salvation as well. Uh, don't do what Solomon did and divorce God from God's wisdom. At that point, it's only human wisdom. It's just wisdom on how to handle your boss well or how to, how to parent well. God wants to give you more than that. God wants to give you salvation. And so if you're interested in doing that, you can let us know, uh, and we'd love to follow up with you. Um, here are some next steps, some ways that you can apply this message this upcoming week, is you can trust God, uh, trust God with my future by beginning the faith journey like we just talked about, by being generous this week, by doing X, something specific. Uh, write it down while you think about it. Uh, something specific that you can stretch your generosity muscles in. Uh, and then lastly, consider uh, consider a plan with wisdom and faith. You say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you that you do love us. Uh, you really do love us, and you, you, you care about us enough to know the details of our life. Um, you know the future, and you've chosen not to show it to us. You want us to trust you. You want us to develop a close relationship with you uh, and move forward in faith. Um, God, you've given us access to your wisdom and your word, and we're grateful. Uh, we want to, to buy you up on the opportunity to do life with wisdom. We want to move forward in the future with faith. Would you help us do that this upcoming week? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.